Welcome to the Mind Heart Muscle Podcast, where we explore the body and mind connection, train our hearts and souls, and understand what it is to be human. We connect with authors, coaches, and entrepreneurs from all over the world to both challenge and develop the way we think and approach our life. If you want to become the best version of yourself, have better relationships, and optimize your health, You'll learn that and much more here. We know you'll enjoy the show, so here we go. (laughs) Welcome back to Mind, Heart, Muscle. We're going to talk about pirates and shit today. It's going to be awesome. We're joined by our first... International guest. International guest. Is that wait? Is that true? That is true. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that is correct. And uh, and we got to know Alex Barker um, pretty well through uh, through the course we've been taking, the community we've become a part of, and um, and when I say pretty well, I, I mean a couple of her stories we we know very well, and and then the rest of her life we know nothing about. And I hope well, uh, we, we know some <laughs> things. We know she's an author. She wrote. She wrote some stuff. Yes. <laughs> um. She's a pirate. She's a badass. <laughs> and uh, and and she'll she'll tell us about that, and we'll talk about the the pirate's life, for sure. What that actually means. Alex, introduce yourself. Let us know. this is the first podcast I've been on where the people who are talking to me know me via the inner monologue of of like my worst inner critic instead of knowing like the kind of polished version of my very prepped professional life story um the kind of bio that I give people usually so this is quite of a reversal (laughs) um so yeah so I am I I it's hard to describe what I do, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, it, I run a social movement called Be More Pirate, which started life as a book, really, and grew into a community. And it's also, I'm also something of a, a consultant, although we call it insultancy, which is consultants that tell the truth um, as a way of describing like how, to, how we create um, change within organizations and businesses using the, the pirate framework. So there's lots of different elements to what I do um the thing that I love the most is building the relationships and the community of all these incredible people who have who are being a bit braver and and um pushing the limits of what they can challenge and creating new precedents in all across all kinds of sectors and all over the world so it's an amazing it's, it's an amazing it's an amazing thing to do actually <laughs> and of course we wrote a book about it as well um, after Sam published Be More Pirate which came out in 2018 um, we wrote a second book to document the stories of all the people who were making changes as a result of the book, because it was too good. It was too good not to. What was it like to let your guard down with us? <laughs> um, it was hard. It, it was hard, but you know, I'm being, being pirates and all. I have repeated the mantra to myself to get comfortable being uncomfortable for at least two years now. So I'm 
pretty accustomed to um, soft language acknowledged. <laughs> I am accustomed to <laughs> diving into uncomfortable situations, putting myself um, in, into difficult scenarios before I'm ready or things that I perceive to be difficult. You know, I started public speaking probably long before I was ready or felt ready because Sam set the example for me and said, this is the only way you're gonna learn. And most organizations don't let you do things before you're ready. They don't let you fail, but failing is important. So just go for it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good uh, point you just made. And we, Ron and I talked about that uh, the other day um, about just starting and, and, and seeing where things go and, and you know, think about the, the things that are good in your life that, that you have now that you just, you just started without the, the, the need for uh, waiting for the right moment, the perfectionism or, or um, thinking you're ready enough. And that's, uh, and that's one, one way I've been helping uh, clients, people, friends get to take action is by asking, you know, are you, are you ready enough mm. to start right now? What, what can you, what can you start right now? What, what can you describe that first uh, public speaking moment when you just started and didn't really understand <laughs> what you were getting yourself into? Yeah, <laughs> I had two, I had two, two days consecutively, neither of which I necessarily felt ready for so I prepared so I had one that was a really big speech for um actually a company called General Mills which it was their Northern European conference so it's actually quite a big one to really go to go with um and I had so I had prepared and I'd rehearsed um but it was because it was quite a corporate environment and um you know very it was in a conference hall and so it wasn't like a it wasn't like a trial run it was like a big one but unfortunately the day before <laughs> Sam was sick and he had to do a speech to a group of head teachers and he called me in the morning and just said look I think I might throw up so I think you're gonna have to do this one you because you're prepped for tomorrow you can basically do the same thing <laughs> so I, I kind of was spooned in before I was yeah the day before I thought I was going to be ready and it was, you know, it was fine. It was all good. That particular one with the teachers, they were taking a day. It was their, it was the final day on a course that they'd all been on. But it was all about risk taking and being pirate and facing fears. So after we'd I'd done the speech, we actually had to walk on hot coals. So it was, it was quite an interesting day. You mean um, that? You mean that literally? Yes, literally walk on hot coals. We had someone come in and sort of set it out and say. This is how you do it. To, to help people uh, face their fears. Is that, is that why? Yeah. 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 How did that go? That was fine. Um, that, that it's not, as, it's not as bad as you imagine. Um, you, if you walk quick, just don't, just don't hesitate. Just go. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, the public speaking is uh, for, for a lot of people, insanely difficult and uh, and I remember my first public speaking situation and I was I was like 13 or something something silly and I looked down my leg is shaking and I'm I'm a kid barely breathing and 
confused about what I, what I was even talking about, even though I was prepared and, and on the surface, you know, I, you feel uh, like you are doing a terrible job and you're not really sure what's, what's going on. And then all of a sudden people start complimenting you and saying that was, I learned so much. Thank you so much. And, 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 and people feel inspired. And then that's when you get gain that little point of confidence for sure. And, and more, I, I bet more people are willing to throw their feet on, on a hotbed of coals than they are to get in front of a group of people and speak. It's, it's a strange phenomenon. Yes. I can speak a lot about public speaking. Um, a couple of things you just said around waiting for the external validation of the audience telling you that you did well. Um, that is good, I think. It, you know, it obviously feels good to hear that. But I think it's not what you need to base a speech on. Um, I can tell the difference between when I know that I'm speaking from the heart and, and the, the points that I'm saying really feel true to me. And that's when I, when I help other people prep speeches, that's what I, I work on. It's this really digging into what you believe, because if you really believe in it, it will translate to the audience. So even though you might be able to rehearse, you know, when I started, I, I used to almost regurgitate what Sam was saying. It was like his version of Pirates. And I realized I needed to find my version of it. So that was really important. Um, and I remember- You, you found your voice, essentially. Yeah, you yeah. have to find your voice. Yes. So that's, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Um, and I also was interested in the difference between the US and the UK because I did a workshop a couple of weeks ago around public speaking and there was, and I, I did introduce it with a story about how I studied in North Carolina for a semester when I was at university. And at the beginning of the, um, beginning of the course, we all had to stand up and say something about our summer and, and introduce ourselves. And I was mortified because in Britain, we don't really, we're not really asked to public speak in a class if unless we have to give a presentation it's just not really the done thing you can pretty much sit at the back of the class and say nothing so this this presentation this kind of sense of presenting yourself I just started going went red I started mumbling and then I thought you know when I talked to more people after they said you know we kind of always do that and I think it was a you know but if I don't know if this resonates with you and might just be the school that I was at but I felt that in the U.S. you're you've got a bit of a head start in terms of confidence. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, w when I was in college, we did a lot of uh, presentation and I, I, I was a, I was a music major. So every day it was, I had to get up and play something or sing something or move my hands. And I was not uh, that type of person. Uh, I'd rather do it on stage than in a small intimate group of peers. Um, because I feel like I'm being judged more depends on the audience, I suppose. Um, but I remember, uh, as a kid younger, younger than college for sure. Like, you know, Hey, read, read this section of the book we're all reading and you read it out loud and I felt fine. And, and other, other students would freak out. They'd say they forgot their book <laughs> so they didn't have to read. And, uh, uh, for some reason, you know, and I, I don't know if uh, if you guys or um, have this experience, you just felt compelled to do it, to put yourself out there. It's when did you start um, getting comfortable being uncomfortable? That's the that's the thing. 
did is that a is that a thing you're born with i feel like i've been doing that my whole life definitely not definitely definitely not i think i i was brought up the opposite way i grew up in um in a, in a town that is just outside of london where i'd say just because of the schooling system that we have here was it was pretty competitive it was um i went to something called a grammar school which means you have to pass an exam to get into it there's only like two regions of the uk where they have them anymore so you are very you are graded from from the age of 11 as to whether you are smart or not smart and from then on in you have a sense to, of living up to that expectation and everybody does extracurricular stuff so i i did like i played sport for like at quite a high level and i did ballet three times a week and i was very much the overachiever um, and so I, I, you know, I, I felt a consistent expectation to, to be quite perfect, I suppose. And I got straight A grades, but it was just expected. Um, and, you know, funnily enough, success in life isn't that. It isn't a series of boxes to tick. You get out into the real world and it's a totally different game. And I think there was a point in my early twenties when I, I lost my way a bit in that respect. Um, so I definitely didn't have that, that confidence or, or any, any comfortability with being uncomfortable. I was very comfortable being perfect <laughs> <and> everything. <laughs> so that's been a, but it's been a brilliant unlearning. And now I really feel like I can pretty much throw myself into anything. Um, there was a moment probably, probably about a, a year ago that felt like, a, it's just a, a moment that I can remember when I was doing a networking event uh, I'd gathered together a few of the, the different people in our pirate crew and they were giving some little speeches and it was like the first event we were doing online in lockdown and um, I, I don't know why but for some reason I was a bit nervous that day I just wanted it to be successful online <laughs> and I was stressing a bit to Sam about it and he just said to me it's not about you none of it like this isn't about you and I was like it isn't about me is it it's about this movement what it means to the people here it's about them building connections with each other and as soon as I was able to take myself and my ego out of it that allowed me to, that allows me to be a lot more comfortable in the uncomfortable space because I don't I'm not seeking I don't really care for the external validation criticism or praise to be honest I think this is a great time to segue right into what is the mission what does being more pirate mean uh since you are at the front of this mission um tell us and our listeners what being a pirate is all about hmm. it's fundamentally about giving yourself the permission and having the courage to break the rules um i'd say that's the first mission and the reason why we need to do that is because there's a lot of systems and rules that don't work anymore. They were simply invented in a different era for a different kind of life, way of living. And we have, have left them to stagnate for too long. And we, we just inherit a lot of things. We inherit our, our mindset from our, our cultural and sort of parental environment. We inherit a lot of, yeah, societal rules and norms and they need challenging. And if you don't have a culture where it's okay to challenge, um, they just drag on and they make life pretty miserable for a lot of people. So that's really the first thing about being why pirates are necessary. And you don't have to be pirate all the time or, or um, for all time. You know, there's a moment where there's change is necessary and it has to come from a sort of 
edge of the map place and then it influences the mainstream and the mainstream changes which is good and, and we get these waves but we're at a point now where we need to do that for a lot of different reasons i think democracy is is not working in an, in an age of the internet i think climate change is not being addressed seriously um, in the uk and, and in the us i guess you have, have serious inequality and and um, still a lot of racial divisions which are causing you know a lot of social fractures so there's a lot to be challenged <laughs> but I think also underpinning that the thing that I've been I've learned from our community about being a pirate is that that doesn't work alone so there's a huge part of this that is about relationships and community and crew you can't you know that's the thing that gets left out of the history books about pirate we we know that they were brave and and rule breakers but they were also incredibly collaborative and looked after each other um so i want to emphasize that point about it as well that's what struck me the most about the re when i re read the book is it, yeah you you hear the stories and, and watch tv and the movies and stuff and you learn about um the pirate's life and and it's it's about rebellious rebellion and uh and freedom and then you look, you know, at the stories that that are in the book, and it's it's about teamwork and collaboration, and and it builds the framework for a lot of ways that we run our companies now, and mm -hmm. especially in the modern, uh, you know, recent twenty years of seeing uh, startup companies being formed around culture and values, mm -hmm. as opposed to mission statements and business plans and. Uh, product development and, and hierarchy of, of uh, you know, who's been there longer and things like that. I like the idea that, yeah, everyone's equal, you know, in a sense, everyone has an equal say, there's equal pay for the most, for the most part. And, and whether you've, you've been on the ship or you've been part of the team for a, a week or, or a year, it's irrelevant. You still have uh, value. You still, can can provide value that's that's the that's the social change that if if the world saw that and i mean we're thinking so big but if the world's if the world saw that up that as an opportunity what what would come about which mm. <laughs> yeah and i think that sometimes the, what I have to translate about Be More Pirate is that there are elements of the original pirate story around, you know, pioneering equal pay, um, workplace compensation, um, equal, you know, democratic structures, um, sharing power, all of that. Like there's lots of companies that still need to implement that stuff. So whilst we've got the progress, more progressive ones emerging, there's still lots of, of issues and pirates provide a bit of an example. However, I think really that it's more of a philosophy that you can translate into like, what are the rules and norms that you see about society that need updating? And a lot of that I think is not, not necessarily around structure because you can, you can change a structure of an organization and still have all the toxic culture in the world. A lot of it is about mindset and how you view the world and you know the concepts that come up the most are things like trust like how do, how do you trust people and that's something that's very you know comes from somewhere within um it's not you can't just 
you can't just create a plan and go right you now all trust each other do you it's something that's relational and you have to build up and work on and be consistent with so that that can be that can seem to companies like fluffy stuff that they think oh you know just give us a plan or give us a, a new tech product or give us a program that we can follow and it's it doesn't work like that right you have to have a, a group of people who share the 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 ideas in some way and then develop the you know how can we work together to accomplish this like you said about your role in the, the company that you're working with and working for and the mission you're working toward it's not about you it's about the the greater the the, the greater mission and you're a piece of the puzzle and and how do you how do you define the mindset there? What's or, or what? Yeah, how do you define the mindset, and what what is that mindset? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, what I usually say is that, you know, in in observing people who have turned pirate, the the thing in the original the line, let's say the, the thing the line in the book that most resonated seemed to resonate with people was this was no one is coming to save you. So I think the mindset is that it's, it's literally that it's, you need to take responsibility for yourself um, and for the change that you want to see in the world um, and be brave. Um, I think that that's the essence of it. Um, and I think there, there, are, there are other sort of additional revelations that have come to me about being a pirate as I started to, to look at it and look at it in more depth, because I was fa often faced with this, this sort of stereotypical rebel um, archetype that people would say, you know, I've always been disruptive. I've always been the, you know, the challenger. And I do, whilst I think that that can, is an important role to play. There's something about the observation of pirates that where people have found the ability to break free so the moment of breaking free is so powerful for a person because it's just transformation, isn't it? It's you were somebody who followed the rules. You were somebody who tried, who, who thought that this was what was normal. And then you suddenly find your voice or you find your power and you you do something different. Um, and, and being able to tell that story of going from one place to another is almost more inspiring than saying I've always been mm. kind of the outsider or the rebel. Um, because people have seen that you've had to take some kind of quite courageous steps to do it. Um, so I think that's a, a, as a story that that's what pirates are to me. And that's the mindset of like, even though it's hard, I'm going to do it anyway. The change, you mean, the, the, the transformation, the how they got from yes. where they were to where they are. Hmm. Right. Yeah, we had a, a story just this morning of a woman who has written in and said, I was working in a corporate environment. I had a bit of a nervous breakdown and um, I read Be More Pirate and it's it's taken me in an entirely new direction. I've set up a company that re re takes plastics out of landfills in France and turns them into accessories. I mean, she's almost literally sort of taking one of the the, book, the stories from the original book and, and adapting it to what she can do. And she's like, I'm so grateful that this, that, that this has enabled me to do this and follow my dream. And, it's quite, yeah, it's quite remarkable. Um, but I think it just gives people, we always say that pirates is a, is a proxy word for permission. It just seems to give people permission. 
validation in a mm. way. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I can't remember what your original question was now. <laughs> uh, it was around mindset. How yeah, to, what what is being a being a pirate entail? There's another one. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there's the, the different stages, I'd say. There's that, yeah, that initial kind of breakthrough moment of decision where you decide, I've had enough. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something different. Enough of what? Um, well, it depends on your circumstances. Most of the time, it's people fed up with whatever workplace they're in, generally speaking. I think that, that work... So it's why Sam and I, you know, really reiterate um, the phrase professional rule-breaking, um, rule-breaking in the professional setting, because I think that is... I genuinely do think that that is one of the most untapped powerful levers for change i think if you if you can inject a little bit of courage a bit more courage into workplaces we would be able to transform most of the world um you know forget all the usual sort of forms of, of activism like protest and and petitions and charity and all of that i think that if we were to able to change how we worked we would be in a different place but so yeah, it's usually frustration around around that. And it can be everything from the small, tiny rules around, like, we hate all the meetings that we have. Why do we do this? Mm -hmm. why, do we, why do we get so bogged down? Why am I so exhausted all the time? Um, but we know that no good work comes from that place <laughs> to, you know, some bigger, much bigger transformation programs and things like we need to entirely restructure our bonus scheme. We need to, we need to completely rethink the purpose of the business. So... That and that change can just be led by one person deciding to do to do something. But then there's all these other elements that then have to come into it. You can't just if you if you decide to just go for it. Quite often you burn out and fall flat on your face. So as that's, you, yeah, that's why you need you need a you need a crew. You need a uh, you need to create you create a culture around the the change you're chasing. You're looking for. Um, because yeah, it takes it takes uh, you know, it takes a lot of hands. It takes a lot of trucks to to do the work. Yeah, and it's you tough. Just, go. No, go you. You need in the beginning though. You you just need to find those people. Not necessarily to do something immediately. You need to find those people who share your frustrations and build some mm -hmm. trust with them. And like, because other because then you know really know that they they're going to have your back on this and that you're going to do something together you know start to formulate your code so you kind of have a sense of what are the shared values here are we on the same page about what's wrong and what where we should be going and then you know the the crucial part first step being the the kind of the smaller actions that you can take identifying what what's within your gift to do based on the knowledge that you have and i think that's that's a big Shift, that was something, a big shift for me. I read a book right at the beginning of Be More Pirate called um, The Leaderless, Leaderless Revolution. And it's um, written by a, an ex-diplomat in the UK who was very heavily involved in the Iraq war and making the decisions around whether we should go to war and join you guys. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and um, You're fine. <laughs> and uh, he... what, what kind of pirate would you be if you didn't try to ruffle some feathers? Oh God, pretty rubbish. 
yeah so I mean I could yeah I could talk a lot about that but because I studied international relations so I, I was really interested in global politics and how this actually transfers onto a, a political stage where things are a bit delicate and I read this book and he he talked about how essentially the foreign office here and has groupthink. he's like I, I, I should have I should have stood up and challenged it it was wrong what we did like we were essentially covering things up and and I wasn't asking the right enough questions and in the book, he talks about what he thinks are the solutions and, and the problems. And one of them is the, the complexity that we deal with now in the modern world in the last 20 years. Like traditional leaders just don't have the view anymore. They don't, they can't understand everything that's going on. So they can't predict accurately what's going to happen. And so the, so the reason, so more power needs to be given to people who are closer to the problems. There's another great book called Turn the Ship Around um, by an ex um He's a, he was the captain of a, a submarine uh, in the US. I don't know if you've heard, you know that book, you may do. And he talks about pushing power where the information is. And he created an entirely different sort of management um, system because he was, his story was that he went onto a, he suddenly was found himself captain of a nuclear submarine, but had no training in how that submarine worked. So he had to go on and, and simply <laughs> ask the crew, how do you do this? And <laughs> no choice. You had to simply get on and just allow them to uh, to lead him. And That's a great uh, lesson. Mm. As a goes to the fact of what we've studied and learned over the last few months that it's not about having the right answers. Being a leader is about inspiration and having good questions and having a team you can trust. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Good, yeah. All, good. Yeah. I heard the story that you're referencing, mm. Alex. I'm trying mm. to. It might have been in the Leaders Eat Last book, uh, where mm. where I heard it ref, where I got it where it ref was referenced, and then uh, so important to trust your team. Yeah. And yeah. I don't, I don't want to get sidetracked. I have, I have more questions. Um, what popped into my head was one, how do we identify or how do we get people to identify what rules need to be twisted, need to be broken? And where do we develop the courage to break those rules? Hmm. Good questions. Um, I would say that a lot of the rules, identifying the rules comes off the back of creating the, the code in the beginning so that you first have your compass, you know, you know, most people kind of know what matters or if they start asking yourself the question like what is important here, what matters to me, what is the bigger picture, you start to get a sense of your principles and your values and, and from there on you can see what doesn't align with those but we sometimes play a, a, a game called sabotage the system which is where you think of think of a goal say sometimes I do it with with teams and say I did it with a um uh a group of people who were um trying to yeah trying to work on internal culture and said okay how what would you do to sabotage good communication let's say good communication is your goal write down everything you do to sabotage that and then they write all these things on a on a board and then you look at it and you go okay can you categorically remove everything that you think is not happening in some respect at the moment 
And most of the time they can't remove nearly anything because most of the things that they've thought of are triggered by things that happen, like lack of trust or um, too many emails or whatever it is, um, being too vague, being too complicated, using jargon, all this stuff. So then you go, okay, so these things are rules that need breaking and small or large, and you can start to then sort of work towards that. How do you get the moral courage or courage at all to do it? Hmm, that's a very, very good question. Um, I think there's, there's several, I think we covered the crew element and, and doing it with a few other people so that you're not in it alone. But quite often I, I'll play a little exercise with people to say, um, as well as two things really. In a group we'll sometimes do, um, and what? It's a game where you say, you announce a fear that you have. And it's quite nice to do in a room where you're with some, say with a little crew who will kind of support you. So you, you voice your main fear about doing the thing that you want to do, the rule you want to break. And, they, and, and then you just ask people that, and what? And they'll say, you know, and then, what it or that's not always the phrase we use actually um but they'll essentially have to give you a counter argument like i'm afraid of hosting this event because no one will come and they'll go but what if mate what if loads of people came what if it was the so they kind of try to give you a, a counterbalance mm -hmm. to it or sometimes i do an exercise where i push people to the point of what's you know what is the real fear underneath the fear underneath the fear and most of the time it's like i'm gonna die <laughs> so you, push, you push it and most of us are, are fearing that. And then I say, you know, you, you take it back a few stages. And I say, you know, if you first fear that comes up, I'm going to lose my job as a result of this action. I said, do you think you can't get another job? Do you, mm. you know, challenge that belief, challenge that, that perception. Like, do you, do you really believe? Well, first of all, do you really believe you can get, you're going to get fired? Or are you really just going to get a bit of a ticking off? And are you afraid of the confrontation of that or the uncomfortable feeling? of somebody disapproving of you. So then, so then they might say, no, I, it's genuinely, I think I'm gonna put something on the line. They go, okay, well, do you think you won't be able to get any other work as a result of that? So it's a way of really working through the rationality of your fears. Because um, a lot of it is projection, you know, it's, you haven't really stepped back and thought, am I, um, am I, am I being realistic with this? Or is it kind of my lizard brain fear trying to protect me? From this so those yeah some depending on what the situation is I'll, I'll try to work through it a bit is it that we th we think we're being realistic and rational yes and we're not <laughs> and we're not <laughs> not at all <laughs> no you usually and it takes it takes another person to ask those those questions yeah. and then you're like huh hmm yeah. hmm you're right. <laughs> Wait a minute. I can do what? <laughs> right. So then you go back to the feeling of just going, are you just afraid of the feeling? Are you just afraid of the feeling of feeling uncomfortable? Is that a good enough excuse for you, given what's at stake here? Go, right. Going back to your values, going back to your code. Does that feel, are you, are you comfortable with not doing that, that, you know, wading through the mud of uncomfortability, you know, um, to, you know, and also, I think somebody else asked me this. Yes, you might lose, but what what are the possibilities if you might win? Have you really considered that situation? What if you win the battle of this pirate versus the Navy <laughs> situation? Um, how could that feel? What could that look like? Especially when, in, when we talk about 
starting with a small bold action, starting with something that can create momentum. The fear that people have around those things is so usually so small that you can eradicate it. And what we try to do is identify an action that is not so terrifying that it has really severe consequences. It's just a bit uncomfortable for you. So it might be emailing a person you're a bit intimidated by, for example, and just saying, well, they might ignore you. Okay, so get comfortable with that scenario. If they ignore you, they ignore you. But what if they said yes? What if they were actually quite interested in what you're doing? Like, think of all the possibilities that could happen from there um, and focus on that. So the best possible outcome that you're thinking about instead of the worst possible outcome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How can we be more pirate? (laughs) (laughs) Depends where you're at, really. Um, I I get asked this question, obviously, quite a bit. (laughs) And that's the name of the book. How, yeah, so the book, there's different stages in the book, and I think it does, it's supposed to speak to, to where different people are. So every time I work with a company or person, first, firstly, I ascertain how pirate they think they are to begin with or, or how they feel. And it tends to be with organizations that we'll have two types. They'll either be the big, either corporates or public sector companies that aren't very pirate at all. And, taking any risk is quite a big deal or they're quite process driven and risk averse or we'll get the people who already think of themselves as pirates so the challenger brands and small nimble agencies and things who feel that they want to protect their pirate they want to be um you know as they grow or as they um you know, or, or perhaps if they're working with big clients, they want to make sure that they represent that piracy and not be subject to these kind of normalizing forces that can creep in so easily. So it does depend on where you are um, on the pirate scale. <laughs> um, risk is, you know, we always say this, there's not everybody can take the same kinds of risks. You've got to acknowledge that privilege plays a part in that as to what risks you can take. And I think that's a really important lesson for leadership what I notice when I work with leadership teams or individuals who have power, um, that they turn that they turn it in the right direction. So, you know, rather than pushing it downwards onto your team per se and trying to control everything, give your team trust or your or your crew trust, and use your power in a more external way. Um, so, you know. For example, if you were the CEO of a company, rather than yeah, trying to exert all your power and your and your yeah, all your power, I suppose, on and your platform onto people underneath you, think about how you could influence other organizations or other people in your position. So if you've got a really great agenda on um, I don't know, equality or climate change or something, how can you use that for, for influence outside instead? I just quite often see it turned in the wrong way. Um, so what's the difference? The difference is you create massive amounts of fear underneath you. If you turn it in the wrong direction, um, every, you know, I see so many examples of leadership, really phenomenal leaders who've got, um, passion and, um, who are, who are, let's say, um, quite forceful in their approach at times. Um, 
because of their passion and usually quite often it's led by a lot of integrity as well but when you can feel the pressure of somebody wanting things done in a particular way and being really really adamant and because of the way organizations tend to be and because they tend to be quite hierarchical and people are very task orientated they just tend tends to be a lot of fear under in the sort of middle management levels if the senior people could give more trust to the middle management to just understand what the problems are and kind of run with it on their own and they could use their influence and, and power and, and passion to talk to other and it, i guess yeah influence in a different Am I making sense? <laughs> Influence in, a, in an yeah, yeah, you make sense. And I'm trying not to be like specific about examples because they're kind of internal. But yeah, I'd I'd like to clarify this. Uh, I think I can, um, mm-hmm. and and make it relatable because yeah. the the image I'm getting is larger corporations with multi level management mm-hmm. and different hierarchies. And it also applies to organizations of one or two people mm-hmm. in a way. And in a reference that we've made in the past about uh, leadership and influence is that, um, is that where you're going to use, you use your passion and your values and this vision to drive your influence in one direction and, and whether or not, whether you do it for yourself and the company or for the greater good is the difference between manipulating people and an actual leadership. Mm. Yeah. And what think, I'm, go ahead. Go ahead. I think to maybe clarify a little bit is that there's a lot of conversation. I get it. There's a, there's a lot of um, discussion in, in the workshops I run and events that I run around power and power dynamics. And how do you enable people to feel more empowered? And how can you distribute power? Because that's a big principle of Be More Pirate. And it's not always easy for people to reclaim their power in certain settings. And so I suppose what, and and I think that the problem is, is that a lot of leaders have been, have become leaders in a particular kind of culture um, that hasn't always, is not the kind of leadership maybe we would want to see um, in the next 20 years. it's simple you know they've they've learned because through their mentors and they those mentors have been pretty dominant characters you know i'm thinking of the quite traditional you know having all the answers kind of leader um particularly when it's in male dominated environments i'd say just to generalize a little bit but women can also enact that as well and changing that is changing your behaviors quickly is difficult um it takes a lot of um it it takes it takes time and it takes quite a bit of courage and it you have to do a lot of work on breaking out of that mindset so when you can't expect it to change overnight but you do want to change the culture of an organization you can for people who are used to kind of projecting and are used to being you know coming in with solutions coming in with answers you can just say like use that in a different way use your your particular sort of skills and and approach just maybe take it away from putting the spotlight on your team and, and turn it towards, you know, um, a group that maybe you don't think are doing the right thing or another company who you think you could influence and can do it better, uh, a peer maybe. Does that, I hope that clarifies it a little bit of, of how I'm... <laughs> 
It does. And, and I'm, 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 I'm wondering, um, what, is, what is it like when you, and I, I don't know, you can, here's a first, the first question. And then the follow-up question, do you work with, you work with companies that want to change their culture? Yeah. Yes. What's it, what's that like when you infiltrate and you, you start to show the company, the CEO, whoever you're working with directly, uh, a different way. What's, what's, what's that time timeline? Like, what's the process like? Mm. Um, and I believe you, you just, you described it in, in chunks as we, throughout this whole conversation, but Mm. you know, we deal, we deal mostly at, I I find, I, I find we're in, we're in a transitional period now of the old and the old leadership style and management style, right? The the generation Xers, the uh, the people that come from that assembly line type of um, mentality and hierarchy, and and that, and that was necessary fifty years ago, forty years ago, and and now you're seeing these these old to generalize older people running companies and newer people starting to come up and wanting to change, wanting to see something different because we have double the amount of people on earth that there were 50 years ago and access to all of them to right now. So things have to change. So what's it like getting into that situation with people who uh, might be resistant? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's challenging. People don't always ask us to come in to change the culture. They come in because they like the idea of pirates and rule breaking. And mm. then when you get into it and you ask, you actually allow we create a scenario in which everybody in the company or the team, let's say, has an, has an equal voice because we've already framed it as you are all pirate, equal pirates on this crew. And so there's a chance to be honest for the first time and actually speak up. And we get people into small groups to think about the kind of rules or norms they want to challenge. And as a group, there's a bit more courage. And so they'll say things like, there's not really, you know, we don't really get listened to. And then you start to see the cultural norms come up and as, as the rules that, that need to be broken. So then you can, you know, it, it gets a bit uncomfortable because you're highlighting the cultural problems that are there and it can be, uh, it can be difficult. And that usually reflects onto individuals, certain individuals. It can do, it, it can, it can do. So yeah, I, and that can be hard because people are, quite protective of their professional identity it, it, when it's been something that has shaped you for such a long time. I think the, the way to get around it in some respects is when we frame pirates, it's just that, it's just to sort of explain that this is not um, an individual problem, it's a, it's a systemic problem. We are all a product of the environment, the system, the cultures that we've grown up with, that we've been brought into. And the fact that you've been taught to do it this way for a long time doesn't mean that you have to do it that way going forward or that you even want to. And so it's giving those people who feel that maybe they were, that it's, that they're responsible for the culture because that's what they've been doing, giving them the permission to change um, and, and finding them the point of excitement and inspiration and momentum for them to do that. So 
but it can yeah it can be a bit of a I've seen moments in workshops where you've almost had a transference of power in the room at the moment where everybody stands up and sort of says we all think this is a bit rubbish and and the, the leadership have to say that well you've got two choices haven't you you can either acknowledge it and allow the crew to direct you and create the new rule and follow it or you you decide to go into battle I mean it is literally like a pirate ship but then I think what we say is god if the pirates could get this right in the 1700s surely we can do this today like <laughs> <laughs> come on you've got a, a 80, 80 strong crew of of like largely uneducated men and they can work out how to work together and not cause conflict I think we can do this and then that creates like it's a bit of humor as well you know it's, it's entertaining so I think that dilutes the the tension but I think it's necessary fundamentally I don't people always thank us for doing it even though it was uncomfortable you just have to start yep. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah what's your biggest win since Ooh. becoming a pirate <sighs> My goodness me. <laughs> Being on this podcast. Oh. <laughs> this podcast is mm. is pretty, I mean, you know, I have had so many phenomenal moments personally as part of being Be More Pirate. I think, I think a moment for me that, that summed up some of the impact I felt we were making um, or fe felt important to me was um, earlier this year I was uh, I was interviewed as part of um, a, a sort of innovation program or transformation program within our National Health Service here and the reason it was important was because health and social care has been the sector in the UK that has most responded to be more pirate they were the, you know, I remember the first event that we did on, on a, on the pirate ship in London, two women who stood up and sort of said, we just need a revolution in health and social care. It's, it's, we've been in it for 20 odd years and it's getting worse. And everybody's known here that they are, you know, whilst we're grateful for the welfare system, it's, it's at breaking point and at risk of falling into the wrong hands maybe. And obviously but just because we've had this year as well of, of COVID and seeing and seeing the cracks in the system, um, the fact that we were making a, a contribution and a meaningful contribution to healthcare feels important to me because it's it's just it's ripe for some rule breaking. And we've since then, you know, I've had a few more. I've got quite a few clients and and workshops and across healthcare. And so for me, that just personally feels like a win because it's a sector that's really important to how our country exists <laughs> and so what even if it's a small moment for me that feels like a win but there's that, so many moments <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like a small moment that sounds <laughs> huge and yeah. if, you could, if you could send any of those revolutionaries over here to infiltrate our health system please do because that shit is broken mm. where um, do <clears throat> What were you going to say? Go ahead, Alex. I was going to say, well, I will, I, I, I'll try. Yeah. 
Where do we go from here? Where do we set our sights on becoming a pirate, understanding what thing, what rule, like what rules need to be broken? Where, where outside of outside of just starting? Because obviously this mission has already begun. It's it's um, it's catching on in the community that we that brought us together. Yeah. Um, how do we how do we grow? So yeah, this this is important. The storytelling element of Be More Pirate is really important. Um, what in the book is called weaponizing the story. And I think sometimes think it gets left off in lieu of action. Action is important, of course, but you've got to be also be able to tell that story and inspire other people. Um, you know, change happens when people are emotionally engaged with what you're saying. And I, having been in the voluntary sector before this, they're absolutely te- for, for the sector that's supposed to create the most change. They're absolutely terrible at inspiring people to do to do it because it's almost like an afterthought, something that gets no budget. And so ensuring that once you've done something, whether it's, you know, some of the transformation programs, um, transformation moments you get through the coaching programs you guys are doing, ensuring that that shit is documented and you are getting like the sense of the impact that it's having and those, those moments. And there are kind of, there are elements of like weaponizing the story that I talk about. Sometimes I run workshops on that around getting into the detail, like making sure it's specific and scenario based and how can you make it bold and how can you tell it in a different way so that it's not just, I'm writing this on a piece of paper, like what kind of new mediums can you use to do this um, to make it really unusual? So, and also, yeah, and, and kind of, there's like different um, pirate storytelling techniques. But I think that that that's, that's critical to creating it as a movement and showing that, um, I think you said it earlier, showing that the change can happen um, uh, more than just doing it and kind of keeping it a secret. Or so document everything and tell the story. That's the, that's, I mean, market. You gotta market yourself. Mm. Yeah and market the ideas and yeah this think of all the things that that we get behind that we believe in it's not the thing itself it's usually the the story about the thing itself yeah the and and as we've learned and practiced it's the stories that shape our beliefs our identities and our right our, our really the our entire life it's you know what's the story you tell yourself about yourself right now and the same would go for a, a business what's the story of the business that they like to tell about themselves that's a huge lesson that you know that can be applied simply in in marketing and getting your, your message out there getting your brand out there is be getting better at telling your own story and what it is that what's the thing that's going to spark um, an emotional response that people will want to get behind and believe in and support and be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, as we know from, in, from in lifted that 
when the stories are negative, they own you, they utterly own you. And until you've unpicked them, you can't have a new story. Mm. And that's something that came up in the, in listening to people talk about pirates, um, the idea of owning your story, how do you? And I think this program and Lifted has helped me more than anything to understand that in more depth. But um, yeah, the, the idea that you, mm the depth of the feeling that you have about your beliefs and what you're doing is actually, you, you are the vehicle, you're the best vehicle for the story of change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, forget all the, like people always come forward with their, their mutiny or their campaign and, and hand me a load of statistics and data. And whilst that's useful to sort of legitimize what you're doing, the real power is in why you're doing it. So, finding the way that you can own the story in the positive, in a positive way, um, I think is just the most important thing. And cause something I touch on when I'm trying to help people with public speaking, um, people have a lot of problem in the way that we have, we're very, very comfortable creating that victim mentality and, and delving into our horrible stories. Very, very difficult to own a story that starts with, I believe I've noticed. <laughs> Why? Yeah, it's a good question. Because it's your it's your real authentic self. You know, you you just you're just stripping back the curtains and saying, this is really what I think. And if people don't like that, that that's the thing that hurts the most. So but when but the problem is if you don't allow for that, you just don't reach the people who would otherwise absolutely love what you do, do you? So you, you have to take the, the, the risk of criticism with the power in um, the connection that you'll create. So <laughs> <laughs> it should be a risk worth taking. Beautifully said. Um, I'm, thinking back to the be more pirate and the I, I'm paraphrasing and I might be making this up the the, the part where uh, you know what are the stories that are told about pirates and and who took advantage of that it was the pirates who took advantage of the stories that were told about them uh, yeah. you know <laughs> what they they drove their mission through the story that their reputation and I'm questioning they're thinking about which comes first. Yeah. You know, was, was the, was the story, the story was, was formed based on the actions they took and then they adopted the story or is that what they wanted people to see? So they created this image, mm-hmm. the, the, the Jolly Roger coming, you know, on the horizon and the beaten up ship and guys standing on the deck with eye patches and peg legs. And we know now the reason why those are there and those existed, but um, yeah it's it, it was fear-based that was part of their story mm-hmm. and people knew and there there were people who looked at that and said oh i want to be a part of that 
wow, that's so cool. I don't want to be a part of the British Navy. They don't pay me shit. <laughs> I could go yeah. do that. I could go do that thing. That's awesome. So which, which comes first? Is it the story? Um, is it the reputation or is it the, the mission? Um, in the beginning, it was, it was definitely the, the mission that came first. Um, the, the sense of freedom, but the reputation then, you know, became the, the draw um, and, and, you know, allowed them to, to gain more followers. So um, I think there's, there's two, two historical points I can draw on there. It's, it, I, it's annoying that I've got my microphone on this book stand because I've got a massive book of pirates. Um, it's the, the general history of pirates, which is like the definitive book on piracy that was written in there. How many people have read that book? <laughs> no one. <laughs> British, I was, I'm really grateful that they've just done a new edition. The British Library just sent me a copy to be like, love to know what you think. And I'm like, when I get around to reading that book. When did um, you become an expert on pirates, Alex Barker? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just, you know, I just know, know bits and pieces and watch the documentaries and watch lots of black sails. Now I'm kidding. I do. I do actually know. I have read a few historical books on pirates and, I think that on the weaponizing the story, the Blackbeard's the main one that stands out because he wasn't, we know him as like the, the pirate, the, the definitive pirate stereotype and so many like historical, you know, Disney car cartoons of pirates are based on his, his look. <laughs> um, but he was not by any means the most successful pirate by a long way. He wasn't the richest, he, was, he didn't last the longest, he didn't fight the biggest battles or anything. He had the biggest ship, which he stole. So it was a bit like, he was a bit of a, sort of self-aggrandizing pirates, you know, that was that was his thing. He would just dress himself up, you know, set light to the end of his beard to kind of create his reputation. And that served him well and was, was why people feared him, but he really wasn't, he wasn't the most effective pirate at all. And similarly, um, Calico Jack Rackham, right? This, this annoyed me because I, I recently went to a presentation by, the Royal, the, so Greenwich Maritime Museum, which is the big maritime kind of um, naval history museum in London. And they were doing a, a session on rebel women and pirates, female pirates, which was brilliant, obviously. <laughs> so, but interestingly, um, they were delving into the history of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, which are the two most famous female pirates. And they were known to be, it's very likely that they were lovers. But Anne Bonny is also known to be a lover of Jack Rackham. And Jack Rackham is kind of the one, he's kind of well-remembered. And he, his, his thing was, was that he was quite obsessed with his own legacy and he was a very flamboyant dresser. Like that's what's noted in the, in the history. And it's very, very likely that Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean is, is taken from Jack Rackham. They've got the same name. There's, there's clearly a flamboyancy and an obsession with your reputation. And it's very annoying that Disney have left out the female pirates in their depic modern depiction of piracy, who were Ooh. significant and influential and potentially, you know, outlived. Jack Rackham was hanged and Anne Bonny and Mary Reed escaped, escaped the noose. So it, well, actually, shoot, they went to prison, but they weren't executed in the same way. So it's like, even today, the, the women get written out of history. <laughs> Come on. So, um, yeah, that, that was it. That was something that came to light in that session because some of the there were some it was a couple of female playwrights who'd recently written a play about about Anne and Mary and there's a uh, 
a, a recent sculpture that's just been made in the UK of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, a kind of sculptural depiction. And it's, and it was going to be put um, somewhere in the southwest of England, uh, in Devon or Cornwall, but the local people didn't want it because they don't like pirates, which is a shame. <laughs> so anyway, that's a bit of history around the storytelling element of it and how history can be so distorted. Because of the, the stories that actually get passed down. How many, of, how many stories uh, are lost, forgotten? Yeah, and in, in, the, in the session with the women, they were all, oh, there were so many people there going, oh my God, how, how does nobody know this? How, <laughs> how has no one heard of these women? There you go, because, well, partly because pirates devised their reputation so that they would be seen as the villains because it was useful for them. They were already being villainized, so you may as well go with it, right? But it was, yeah, it was it was a protective sort of um, strategy to so that they didn't have to get into into battles. But at the same time, you know, the establishment made sure that pirates were, were seen to be the villains here. And it, it it does annoy me when I get questions from people randomly on Twitter saying, "How can you defend pirates? Didn't they rape and pillage?" And I just think, "How can you defend half of what goes on in the world today?" Because I think that that I think the raping and the pillaging is potentially still going on, you know, and to put it bluntly. So maybe you're focusing your energy in the wrong direction here. S systemically, it's, yeah. yeah. It's happening. It's out there. We, we allow it. We allow it every day. We, yeah. we in democratic countries, we, we vote for it. Yep. It was a projection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was 100% a projection. The establishment wanted... Mm -hmm. Yeah pirates to look they back. take the blame yeah they take the blame yeah. while, while while the navy the the, the government still do that was doing the same shit mm -hmm. <laughs> they just yeah. wore fancy uniforms and, and had better weapons and government support <laughs> yeah and that's the point of around <clears throat> rule breaking when you asked me earlier about how how do i get people to think about what rules to break and i just just honestly ask yourself, is everything that's legal moral and is everything that's moral legal? Um, start from there. That's, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> not, not for now, guys. <laughs> private reflection on that was, question. <laughs> the, the immediate silence was... Oh, that's where we stop. That's where we're gonna. <laughs> oh, Michelle. On, on that note, <laughs> Alex, where can people find you? Where can they find more information on being more pirate? Sure. Um, our website, um, bemorepirate.com, has like a ton of info, I guess, on all the things that we do. It's relatively up to date. Um, I use socials. I do Instagram at Be More Pirate and Twitter, um, and you'll find me through those as well. Um, I'm linked up through that, so that's probably easiest. Keeping it simple. Thank you so much for your time today. 
I've got one more question. Oh, one more question. You, yeah. What, Alex, you personally, as a person, what, what do you want people to know about you? What's one thing? And this feeds your ego a bit. This can feed your ego as much as you'd like. Great. What do you, <laughs> what do you want people to know about you? Um, that I have integrity. Like, I'm never going to sell this movement out to anything I don't think is will serve the greater good. Like if I'm doing it for that, I've lost my way. Um, I've worked, yeah, I've, there's, there's compromises to be made, but I, if I, I will always be able to defend them on a moral stance. Cause that's, you know, that's the tipping point for me. Um, when things start, when you start to justify things that will impact the world negatively because you've, you, you know, you're seeking profit or you're seeking um, measurements and targets that aren't, aren't actually that important. So, I, yeah, I think the thing that annoys me most is, is hypocrisy when people say they're going to do one thing and, and actually behave in a different way. So I hope that integrity is, is one of my core values, obviously, and being, and, and, and being open to challenge. Um, I don't mind. Anyone can ask me any question about anything Be More Pirate does and I'll answer honestly. And I don't, and I definitely don't have the answers to everything, but I'll at least be able to defend the, you know, the, the thought process or the journey to it. I'm not, um, I'm not ever going to cover up or lie because I think that's exactly the point where everything starts to go wrong. At that point, you would have broken the pirate code. I would, yeah. Mm. I would have broken the trust of my crew who I, who I think, you know, do put some faith in me to defend, you know, to uphold what Be More Pirate means to them. Like all the people who've read the book and responded so passionately and taken action as a result of it, I, I can't allow it to be something that they don't feel is true to the, the principles. And, we, and, you know, there've been times when they have called me out on it and I really am grateful for that. Thank you, Alex. We, mm. we are grateful for you and looking forward to what, what else you, you get to do and one day meeting you in person. In real oh. life. Come on down to New York. We'll see you here. <laughs> I, uh, the second we're allowed back on a plane, no. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm down for the travel. And, for sure. Uh, I'm very grateful to be part of your Enlifted community. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. As always, talk to you guys soon. If you loved this podcast, then share it. Tell all your friends. Hit the copy button. Copy the link. Choose five friends in your contact list on your phone and send it out. Let them know what they can expect from it too because we are on a mission here to change the world and we want to help as many people as possible. So if you know anyone who can benefit from hearing what we have to say or what our guests have to say, then send it over. It's not going to do them any good if they don't hear it. Another way you can support us and support the podcast is really simply go on to Apple or go on to Spotify and rate the thing. Give us a five-star review. 
write us a little note. Let us know how we're doing. Shoot us a DM on Instagram, whatever it takes. Let us know so we know that we're on the right track. And we know that we're providing content that is actually relevant to what you are needing and what you are looking for. And if it's not, hey, maybe we can help. So do your job. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it.